I was saying last night, it looks like you're about to watch a new Netflix show or something after that bumper gets out. So Netflix, Philippians. Um, last night I was trying to think of something funny to tell everyone as I was walking up and I didn't have any really good stories, but I remembered at the end of that song, I remember there was a time, I don't know if it was that song, but um, I walked up on stage kind of prematurely. I thought Kyle was ending the song and then he went right back into it. But by that point, I'd already gotten all the way on stage. And, and if you've ever seen that meme of Homer Simpson kind of vanishing into the hedges, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to like, I, I got to get off the stage. I'm not supposed to be up here. And I was trying to like walk backwards and disappear off. But by that point, it was too late. So I just kind of like <laughs> just closed my eyes and lifted my hands. And I'm like, well, if they just think I'm worshiping up here, it, it wasn't a mistake, right? So um, Kyle and I came from a Pentecostal church. And when you like, if you sang in the choir, if you forgot the words, you just worship. And, and that's the way you like trick everyone to thinking that you weren't lazy and didn't know the song. <laughs> Shouldn't tell you guys that, should I? It's terrible. Um, anyways, thank you guys for being here. So we're, we're in a new book of the Bible. <laughs> we're in a new book of the Bible. We're in the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's a, it's a letter written from a guy named Paul to a, a, a group of Christians kind of in northern Greece in an area called Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And we started this last week. It's very, very short, but it's a very, very impactful book of the Bible. It's, man, Paul does this amazing job of just cramming a lot of powerful information in a very little amount of space. And he does that in the book of Philippians. So last week when we started the book of Philippians, in chapter one, we talk about our relationship with, with God, right? And, and then in chapter two, we're gonna talk about our relationship with other people. But kind of the thing that we focused on last week as that our personal relationship with God, the peace that we get from God, the contentment we find from God, we can have that regardless of how much adversity is in the world around us. So regardless of how chaotic and crazy the world gets, we should, we should be able to have the peace of God, the contentment of God, the joy of God in our lives. That's what we talked about. And in fact, if you go back historically, the church has always been its healthiest and has always grown its fastest during times of adversity, right? And so this week, we're going to talk about the attitude of Jesus. And man, there is just some really, we have to like do some really, some really big self-reflection self today. Because some of the things we read, we read them and we're like, man, the Bible tells me to do this. And like, I don't do that as much as I should. Maybe, maybe I don't do that at all. And so there are some things that Paul writes that says we are to adopt these attitudes that Jesus has. And as a Christian, I should be wanting to adopt the attitude of Jesus. But man, when I read this, I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta do some work, right? I gotta, I gotta strive to do better at acting like Jesus. And you'll hear this when I read this. We'll come across some stuff and it, like, it almost kind of makes you like uncomfortable. Man, we need, to, we need to work a little bit more at that. So anyways, we're gonna be talking about this idea of adopting the attitude of Jesus today. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Has everything I'm gonna say in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a Bible, if you're looking for Philippians, we're in the New Testament, which is towards the back of your Bible, right after the book of Ephesians, right before the book of Colossians, which are also letters written from Paul to different churches, kind of in the Mediterranean area. So um, that's where we're at today, okay? Everyone good? I think the weather's supposed to be somewhat decent today. That's nice, right? So, or no, is it, it's probably terrible out there. I haven't been outside in a while. So... Okay, let me, uh, let me pray. We're gonna jump into Philippians and um, I think you guys will enjoy it today, okay? Let me pray. Father, Lord, we love you. 
God, I just want to tell you, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for our church. Um, Father, thank you, Lord, that we could meet in here today, that we could actually gather in this room and, and, and enjoy each other's company, God, and, and corporately lift you up and, and study your word. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you keep your hand on us today, God. Everyone in here today, Lord, everyone who's watching online today, keep your hand on us, Father. Lord, we don't just pray for our church. Lord, we pray for every church in our city, all the churches we work with around the United States, churches that we work with in Africa and in South America, God. Lord, that you would keep your hand on them. Father, Lord, um, we just pray that everything that we talk about today, that it, that it sharpens us, that it draws us closer to you, God, that ultimately it honors you and blesses you, Father. And we just pray, Lord, that when we leave this place, that, um, Lord, that we can look at other people a little bit differently, God, that we can start to see people more the way you see people, that we can show people love and grace and mercy the way you have shown us love and grace and mercy. So, Father, be with us today as we study your word. We thank you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll get through this pretty quick today too, guys. I'm gonna read a little bit. I'll go back and um, break it down to the best of my ability, okay? Remember, this is a letter written from Paul to these Christians in northern Greece, okay? He says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. There's problem one, right? Everyone should look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So like I said, so chapter one of Philippians is kind of our relationship to God, how we and God interact and the strength of our relationship. Chapter two moves on to how we interact with each other. So the key to having a relationship with God, the key to, to kind of beginning this Christian walk is we have to be humble. We have to submit to God, right? We have to have humility. Now listen, the key to our relationship with God is humility. The key to a relationship with other humans is the same thing, humility. So our attitudes towards other people are kind of an indicator of how good our relationship with God is. If we say that we're Christians, if we say we have uh, this relationship with God, we should be able to show that same love and mercy and grace and peace and kindness that God has shown us to people around us. And so the two cannot be divorced. We often hear people say, well, you know, I love God, but man, I just struggle with people, don't really care for people very much. And Paul says, listen, if we claim that we have encouragement from God, love from God, fellowship from God, mercy from God, we are only complete as Christians if we then take what we've received from God and then disperse that to the world around us, to people around us. John writes this, look at this. John says, how can you possibly love a God that you've never seen when you can't even love people around you that you can see? So the two cannot be divorced from each other. They go hand in hand. Jesus even said the entire text of this book can be summed up in two phrases, right? Love God and love people. Right? And these two cannot be divorced from each other. They, they go with each other, and they should go with each other. 
So that, that sounds really easy in theory, just love people. But then you get around people, right? And it's a little bit more complicated. So in order to love people, you have to put away selfish ambition. So in order to follow Jesus, in order to biblically love people around us, we have to kind of put ourselves aside. We have to stop being conceited and arrogant. And look at this phrase that he says, that in humility, we have to think of others as more important than ourselves. Now listen, here's the thing about humility. Humility is not self-deprecation. It's not putting ourselves down. Humility is lifting everyone else up. And this is the complete antithesis to our culture, isn't it? Right? Our culture is all about the individual. It's all about us getting first, right? It's, 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 it's strike back. It's push forward. It's cut in line. Stab that person in front of you to get up the corporate ladder. It's all about self-serving. And Jesus says, I teach you the exact opposite of that, right? That when you go to a party, make sure that you sit at the low seat, that make sure that you're last, and then eventually I'll make you first. But Jesus constantly teaches us this idea of humility and taking a step back and letting others come before you. But that is difficult. It's so difficult, listen, that we cannot do that on our own. Our natural inclination is self-preservation. That's our natural inclination. That's what we do. Our natural thing is to make sure that we have enough, that we are taken care of, that we are affirmed, all those things. That's our natural response. But here's the thing about having a relationship with God is when we have a relationship with God, the old self dies, Paul writes to the Romans, and we are created in a new self and we live a new way of life. And that new way of life is dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't live in a natural sense. We live in a supernatural sense, which means we are capable of living in a way that is against our natural way of doing things. Our natural way of doing things is putting myself first. But the way Jesus says is, no, 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 supernaturally, by the power of his spirit, you can love others and treat others better than you even treat yourself. And that's how we are called to live. That is the heart of Christ. Now, where do we get that example? We know, of course, we get it from Jesus himself. Very important scripture right here. Let me read this to you. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Boy, that is a powerful piece of scripture right there. Verse five through 11, what, what I just read to you, that may be some of the most blatant and clear examples of Jesus's nature, his character, how he acts, how he demonstrates his love for us. That is an extremely powerful chunk of scripture right there. And when we read that, Paul starts it off with, this is how you're supposed to act. That's crazy right? That this was Jesus's example, and you are to adopt 
this example. You are to adopt this same kind of attitude. We should want that. And here's the thing. It is only by a desire to want what we just read and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can even pull this off. Not that we're going to be perfect, but if we want to be more like Jesus, and if we constantly lean on him for his help, his Holy Spirit helps us to live a humble and selfless life, and we have the attitude of Jesus, okay? So it says, like, here's the thing. If anyone had the right to be arrogant and cocky, it was Jesus. The Bible says everyone, everything was created through him, for him, by him, right? The Bible says that. Jesus was the creator God made flesh, walked around the earth. If anyone had the right to be cocky, it was Jesus, but he wasn't. Instead, Paul said that he came and he emptied himself, that the creator of all things, the all-powerful creator of humanity came and became one of his creations, not only became one of his creations, he became a servant to his creation. Jesus says in Matthew, you guys are all Matthew scholars now, right? Jesus said in Matthew, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. Think about that for a second. The creator of all life, the creator of the universe comes down in the form of one of his creation. And he says, I'm not, I'm not here to, to, to have you wash my feet. I'm here to wash your feet. I'm here to show you the path. I'm here to help you in any way I can. And here's the thing about this. We as believers are to do the same thing. We are to lay down our rights. We are to even lay down sometimes our, our, our power and our affluence and our influence to lay down our privileges, not for our sake, but for, for the kingdom's sake, that we are to come in the posture of servant in humility to serve those around us in the hopes, right, that they will build a relationship with Jesus and escape the pits of hell. That's why we do that, for God's kingdom to advance. And it says that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death and humiliation on a cross. Sometimes people come up to me after service and they're like, Corey, that one point was for me. And I'm like, actually, I wrote it for me, right? Because I struggle with it. This blue part right here, this is for me. Because of pride, we often refuse to be humiliated. I don't know if anyone else is like that. It, it, one of the triggers in my life is if someone talks condescendingly to me. That's like a trigger for me. My pride wells up in that moment, right? I want to tell them all the things I've done and blah, 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 and, you know, and, and just prove myself to them. And that's just pride. That's, that's wrong. And when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus came and, and he not only died for us, he was humiliated for us. When you go back and read the account of the cross, in my opinion, the worst part about Jesus' crucifixion wasn't even the physical abuse. It was that they spit on him, that they called him names, that they mocked him and made fun of him, right? To me, I would rather take physical abuse than even that kind of verbal abuse. But he was humiliated for us, and he was obedient to God's mission to the point of humiliation, and even to the point of death. So what it boils down to is this. It boils down to who are we most loyal to? Are we most loyal to ourselves, right? Do we just want to stick up for ourselves? Or are we willing to sacrifice self for the things of God? If our ultimate allegiance lies with God, it's not hard for us to lay our pride down. Do you know what I've had to learn over the years? I'm still learning it. Don't get me wrong. 
is that when someone talks condescendingly to me or they think they're better than me or whatever, I have to sit back and go, you know what? It only matters what God thinks of me. It matters what God thinks of me. And if that person doesn't think that much about me, God knows. God knows my heart. He knows what I've done. I don't have to prove anything to anyone else. But if my ultimate allegiance, if I care more about what God thinks about me than anyone else, it's not easy for me. I'm sorry, it's not hard for me to lay my pride down. It's not hard for me to let that go. So here's the thing, though. We should care about what people think about us to an extent. The Bible tells us that, non, uh, that, that Christians should have a good reputation, even with the non-believers in the world around them. So listen, we should care how people feel about us. Um, we should be known as honest people, as hardworking people, right? People with good reputations. We should have a, a good rapport in our community. But if the approval of other people is higher than the approval of God, we may be lifted up by people in this life, but in the next life, we will be humbled by God. We will not be exalted by God. So we need to make sure that ultimately, we're doing what is approved by God and not by man. Because at the end of this, and, and Paul writes this, Jesus is the one that, that at the end of time, everyone, whether they have honored Jesus in this life or not, whether they've been dead a thousand years regardless of what their stature has been, king or peasant, there will come a time where every single knee will bow to Jesus Christ. The question is, will you and I voluntarily humble ourselves now and bow to Jesus, or will we be humbled by God and pushed to our knees? And I'm just going to tell you, you don't want to be humbled by God. All of us in this room are going to find humility either on our own or Jesus is going to find it for us and we don't want Jesus to find it for us, if that makes any sense, okay? We want to choose to be humble, all right? You guys still with me? We're good? Yeah. All right, next part. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. There's problem two. So that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I have poured out, even if I'm poured out, is a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. So if you haven't been here, Paul is in prison when he's writing this. So he says, you should do this when I'm around you and you should do this even more when I'm not around you. And he says that you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this can very easily be taken way out of context. So here's the thing. We cannot work for our salvation. There's no way we can earn our salvation. Paul writes to the church in a city called Ephesus. He says that we are saved by grace through faith. Really, the only thing we can do to, to be saved is to believe and trust in Jesus. That's all we can do. There's no work we can do. There's no amount of homeless people we can feed or community service we can do or how, no, no, no degree of nice we can have, right, to people, niceness we can have to earn our salvation. Here's the other thing, though. 
though we've been saved by God's grace, that doesn't mean that we are not supposed to do good things. After we are saved by God's grace, we are to work out the principles of our salvation and demonstrate that to the world around us. That means that we're not saved by doing good things, but because we're saved, we should do good things. James even says this in the book of James. He says, you can tell me you're saved. I'm going to show you I'm saved by the good things that I do, by my work. Jesus even says in the gospel of Matthew, go do good works, and it glorifies your Father in heaven. So after we have been saved by God's grace, we should have a prayer life where we speak to God. We should serve mankind, right, and and love our community. We should love people around us. We should have decency and all the fruit of the Spirit, like kindness and joy and peace and all these things. We should demonstrate the fact that we have been saved. Really, our lifestyle should be the proof that we have a relationship with Jesus, not a tattoo or what we say or the fact that we go to a building once a week and check that box off. It's how we live our lives. And again, this is God working through us. Here's all God asks us to do. If you're in this room and maybe you're not a Christian, you're like, well, what does God expect out of me? This is all God really expects out of all of us, to be willing and to be obedient. That's it. To want to do what he, he asks us to and to actually do it. And if we are willing and if we are obedient, God will do absolutely amazing things with us. He will do big things with us, and we will advance the kingdom of God. So if we're consistently praying, if we're thinking on the things of God, meditating on the things of God, if we're reading the word of God and applying those things to our life, if we're willing to be held accountable by the local church, God will do amazing things with us. Now, let's talk about that for a second. I was in a coffee shop the other day, and there's a a really sharp young man that comes to this church, really good guy, and I bump into him quite often over at a coffee shop, and he came up to me the other day. He's in his mid-20s, just very ambitious, very, very driven, and I really appreciate that out of him. He's he's really got a good head on his shoulders, and we were sitting there talking, and and he's not married yet, but he's, he's seriously dating a young lady, and he says, Corey, I just want to do something big. I just feel like God wants me to do something big. I want to do something big. You know, I I write a book or or speak to a lot of people or I just want to do something big. And I said, I said, well, let's talk about what is what is big. Let's define big. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, in this day and age, staying married for life is big. Raising your kids to honor and fear Jesus, that's big. To go out and lay your life down and to give away a portion of your income to help those less fortunate, that's big. Those are big things in the eyes of God. Now, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with, with writing a book or, or, or speaking on a stage to a lot of people. There's nothing wrong with those things if that's what God wants for you. But I think we often think of amazing in the terms of the way the world thinks of amazing. Now, let me tell you something, and I mean, I mean this with all humility. I've written a couple of books, and I've spoken to a lot of people over the years. When I see Jesus face-to-face, though, the first thing he's going to bring up is not my books and my church. He's going to say, Corey, how is your marriage? How did you raise your children? How was our relationship? Those are the things that are big to, big to God. So when we talk about God doing big things with us, man, I'm telling you, man, women in this room, the biggest thing you can ever do is raise your household to fear God, to love the Lord, and to grow up living the principles of the word. That's a big thing. People don't do that anymore. That's big to God. So we need to kind of define what is big. What's amazing? What should we be aspiring to? 
Paul would say that we are called to live countercultural. We're called to stick out from the rest of the world. Not that we're better than other people, but we have learned a truth and, and we are living by a knowledge that liberates us and changes us and saves us. And so Paul calls on us to do the work of Jesus without grumbling or arguing. That's tough. I don't know if anyone else has ever done this, but I, I, you know, I'll do the right things, but I'm like, got to do it again, right? You know, got to do this, got to do that. Paul says, do the right thing and, and be happy about it, right? Because we, look, we, we live in a crooked and perverted generation. But listen, if we follow, he says the word of life. I love that. If we follow the word of life, that's this, by the way. If we follow the principles of the word of life, Paul says you will shine like stars in the world. There is nothing more brilliant in the universe than, than a star, right? And the life of a Christian should be noticeably different from the world around us. That, that our lives should stand out, that our marriages should be healthier, that our relationship with our children should be healthier, our work ethic should be stronger, our integrity should be deeper, that we should stand out from the culture around us. But the way we do that is we, we stick to the principles of the word of life, right? right here, and that we shine like stars in the world when we are engaged in this. And so Paul says something interesting. He says to this church, because he's in prison, he can't go see these guys in, in northern Greece. He's pretty good geographical distance away from them. But he says, listen, stick to your guns. Keep doing what you're doing, because if I die, I want to make sure that all the work I did wasn't in vain. Now, that wasn't like a selfish thing for him. What Paul was talking about is he understood that, the, that Christianity was bigger than the individual. It was bigger than him just being promoted. It was about knowing that you were connected to brothers and sisters, right? And that more people were getting to heaven than going to hell. And so Paul wanted to be assured, tell me, remind me, let me know that more people are coming to the faith because my, my calling in life is to make sure that more people get to go and be with Jesus in eternity, right? than be separated from him forever. So we have to do that. Guys, we have to remember that we're not at war with the Baptists or the Catholics or the Church of Christ or the Pentecostals. Like We may have minor differences, and there, be, there may be some things that I feel very strongly uh, opposed to some of those, those groups, but at the end of the day, I think all of us, if we get to, to kind of the brass tacks of it all, all of us want to see more people go to heaven. And that's really the key that we need to be thinking is more of a, a collective unit. As closer and closer to Jesus comes back, we, we, have to get, we have to get past some of the minor things. We need to be thinking of the, of the greater scheme, the, the, the greater picture, if you will. So Paul says, though, even if I'm poured out, that means even if I die. Here's the thing. As much as I complain, when I read about Paul, <laughs> if anyone had, uh, had a reason to complain, it was Paul. But because he knew his life was honoring God, because he knew his life was contributing to more people knowing Jesus, he's like, man, if I die right now, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know what that made me do when I read that this week? And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I don't think it's a bad exercise to do. To ask ourselves, if God took me right now, did my life have real meaning? That if I died right now, did I live my life in a way that honored Jesus? And did I bring as many people into to a relationship with Jesus as possible, right? And sometimes I think we need to step back and say, am I honoring God with my life? And am I bringing people into a relationship with the Lord 
And if we're not, we need to get started doing that, right? Okay, last part. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you as soon as... Uh, to you soon, so that I may too be encouraged by the news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him soon as I find out how things are going with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick, that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason... I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now, at this point, you're like, what in the heck is this all about? So this letter that Paul was writing had a couple of different purposes. Um, he wanted to encourage the people. He wanted to thank the people. And he also wanted to, to, to kind of tell them some different things that they needed to do. And then he had some business that he had to take care of, basically, like the, the, the kind of the business of doing all the church work. So Paul sends Timothy, or he's going to send Timothy eventually, to go help these people in Philippi. So Timothy was a young pastor that stood out from other young people of his day. Why? Because Paul said he had a genuine care for the people in this area, for the Philippians. Now, the reason Timothy stood out from other young people is because he was humble and he took the time to be mentored. He was also selfless and he cared about other people's needs. Okay, I got a couple of minutes. If you're young in here, I'm going to give you some really good advice from a, a guy who's 41, but acts like he's 71 sometimes. I've getting kind of old and cranky. Um, for you younger people in here, if you were ever, I, I, I say older people, you should do it with all people. Don't call people bro or man or bud or anything like that. It's really condescending and disrespectful, quite frankly. I know it's like a Southern thing. Hey, bud. Bud, like, no, you're 20, I'm 41, we're not, I'm not your bud, right? That's what you call a six-year-old that's your nephew. Anyways, get into the habit as a young person of being humble enough to look at people older than you with respect and say something crazy like, sir, or ma'am. Don't say what, say, excuse me. Say words like that. You know how I learned that? I was not raised in a home where we said sir or ma'am a lot. Um, my, my father was from out West. My mother was from up in St. Louis and it just wasn't a part of our culture. We didn't do that. I really learned the whole respect and sir or ma'am thing when I was getting my black belt in 2017. Um, the guy that I got my black belt in Taekwondo, I, I, I would have to do push-ups at the beginning of our time together. And every time I did not say, sir, when I pushed up, he would kick me in the ribs as hard as he could. So I learned after about four times, sir, and I would call eight-year-old kids, sir. Eight-year-old boy would walk up and he's like, hey, Pastor Corey. And I'm like, hello, sir. 
I still do it. It's just something I do. It's, 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 it's that taking that posture of humility, taking that posture of when you see someone older than you thinking they probably know more than me because they've lived longer than me, right? And it is putting yourself in that posture. Young people get in the posture of being humble and, and gaining wisdom, gleaning wisdom from people older than you. So Epaphroditus was like Timothy, a young man that also kind of got this, this mindset. Uh, so because Epaphroditus is a long thing to type, Epa was supposed to go and care for Paul in Rome, but on his way to Rome from Philippi, he got deathly ill. So he didn't make it all the way. Epaphroditus cared so much about Paul and he cared so much about the church in Philippi that he was like, he was brokenhearted that he didn't get to fulfill his mission. He went to go help Paul, but he didn't make it because he got so sick, he almost died. So he had to go back home. And the reason why Paul finished this part of the letter like that is he's like, listen, when Epaphroditus gets home, like, honor this guy, respect this guy, because he almost gave his life. Like, don't give him a hard time. Don't let him feel like a failure. And so Paul wanted to ensure that this young man was respected for the risk that he took. Now, let me tell you something interesting about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus's name literally means to belong to the goddess Aphrodite. Why is that important? Why should we even care about that, right? Epaphroditus was a young man that was born and raised in a culture of sexual indulgence, do whatever you want to do, worship however you want to worship. It was hedonistic, individualistic. It's all about ourself. So much so that he was named as someone that belongs to the goddess of pleasure. But in the face of that culture, in the face of this kind of extreme individualism, extreme meism, extreme self-serving culture, we have a young man that went completely against the grain. And he wanted to serve others even to the point to where he was willing to risk his life for the service of other people. Right? So it can be done. In a culture like ours, we don't have to go along the current and live this self-centered, self-exalting lifestyle. Right? It's not what the Bible teaches. And we even see in the middle of a culture like Rome, this young man went against the grain right? and gave his life for other people. So let's kind of go back to the start. One of our big kind of uh, uh, points that we want to talk about today is, is loving other people. Because if you are a Christian in this room, and if you're not a Christian in this room, these are the benefits of being a Christian in this room. If we are Christians, we have received mercy from God. We have received grace. We have received love. We have received a relationship from Jesus. And what we are called to do from Jesus is to receive these gifts, but then to disperse these gifts to the people around us. That's what we're called to do. And in order to do that, though, in order to share the kind of love that God has given us to the people around us, we have to humble ourselves. And this is hard. This is hard. But we have to take the posture of considering other people as more important than ourselves. That is in no way what North American culture looks like right now. That is the complete opposite of everything you guys are told. But Paul says it. Jesus says it all throughout the Bible. It says, consider others as more important as yourself. Put other people before yourself, right? When you're in Murfreesboro traffic, lanes are merging. That guy should have put his blinker on and turned over a long time ago. 
This is you guys. I don't do these kinds of things. <laughs> and they start to merge over, but you kind of speed up a little bit because you want to teach them a lesson, right? You should have merged way back there. <laughs> but do we put others above ourselves? Slow down a little bit, let them over, give them a little wave, right? We're good. Come on over. Do we? <laughs> Just being honest today. <laughs> Do we adopt the attitude of Jesus? Paul writes that Jesus was humble. He was a servant. He was obedient to the point to where he was willing to be humiliated and even die. And it is, it is, it is so crazy to read that that's the attitude that we're to adopt. Listen, here's the thing. If we're going to adopt the attitude of Jesus, we have to die to self. This is what Paul writes to the Romans. I think it's in chapter 6. When we're baptized, it's the old self dying and the new self resurrecting. And, and Paul writes in Romans that now we walk in a new way of life. We walk the way Jesus walks. But in order to walk the way Jesus walks, the old self has to die. The old quarry has to be put to death. Again, in the book of Romans, it says that the old self has to be crucified. That means that we may have to give up rights. It means that we may have to be humiliated means that we have to choose to honor God above all things. And if we choose to honor God above all things, we will honor people. And eventually, maybe never in this lifetime, maybe never in this lifetime, but eventually, if we live the way God wants us to live, if we adopt the, the attitude of Jesus, Jesus will exalt us. Do you know what the book of Revelation says about heaven? You know, if you live a life that follows Jesus and you go to heaven, do you know that when we get to heaven, it's not just like digging ditches for Jesus for eternity. You know, that's not what it's like. The book of Revelation says you are co-heirs, co-heirs. You inherit the kingdom of God. What that means, it says in Revelation, when we get to heaven, it says that a new, uh, a new earth is created, that this new city comes down and rests on the new earth. And so Jesus says, look, here's your home. This is all yours. It says the gates of the city are open. So Jesus says, you have a whole new planet to explore. And then it even says that God creates a new heavens, which means a new universe, which leads me to believe we can explore that too. And it's ours. Jesus says, it's not just you slaving for me for the rest of eternity. This is your home. Have fun, right? Run around. There's plenty of room, plenty of time to explore. This is yours. We are co-heirs. That's how much God exalts us if we honor him now. He gives us heaven. He gives us the deed to heaven. Us, we are co-heirs. It says in, the, in Revelation, co-heirs with Christ. That's amazing. That's how much God exalts us in the end. But we have to have the, the courage, guys, to be counter-cultural. If we're going to be, like Paul said, stars in a dark world, we cannot follow the pattern of the world and stand out from the world. Do you hear me? We cannot argue with each other like the world argues with each other and stand out. We cannot fight and hate people the way the world fights and hates people and stand out. We can't be self-serving and individualistic like the world and stand out. We have to be different. Paul also writes in Romans, right? That he says, don't follow the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That comes from having a relationship with Jesus that we live differently. Not that we're better than anyone else, but we have been, we have been exposed to a truth that liberates us and sets us free and changes us. 
And that consistent faith, that humility, the servanthood, the selfishness, and the putting others first, that is not the cultural norm. But we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to go against the grain in order to honor God and to touch people's lives? I got one more slide, but let me tell you a story real quick. Talk about this going against the grain. Having the guts, right, to stand by the principles of God without wavering, if we have the guts to do that. I think it was in 203 AD, right at the turn of the third century, there was a young 22-year-old mother in Carthage, which was in North Africa in the Roman Empire. She's a noble woman, so she had a lot of money. She was probably very attractive, came from a good family, right? Her name was Perpetua. Perpetua had just given birth to her first child. She had been married for a couple of years. Again, a noble, a noble woman. So she was a very devout Christian. And in Carthage, during a lot of the persecution of Christianity in the Roman Empire in about the third century is when it was really getting, getting pretty hot and heavy when it came to, to uh, Christian persecution, that they found out that this noble woman, Perpetua, was a Christian. So they brought her into an a amphitheater, uh, like a little mini uh, Colosseum like there is in Rome. They brought her into one of those. And just like a lot of other Christians before, in fact, there was another young woman that they did this to at the same time they did it to her. But they brought this young woman out who's a Christian, and they said, will you recant on your faith? Will you sacrifice to the Roman gods? And she said, absolutely not. I sacrifice to one God, right? Jesus. So they brought out the lions and they brought out the animals and they started to maim her and they would attack her and they were ripping out her flesh, but that didn't kill her. They pulled the lions back. She was bloody. She was bleeding. All these people are yelling and screaming. They're watching it. It's their entertainment. And again, they go out and a gladiator is out there and a gladiator looks at her and says, Perpetua, will you give sacrifices to the Roman gods? And she said, absolutely not. One God, one God. So the gladiator takes the sword, goes to strike her neck, misses, hits her shoulder, cuts deep into her body, doesn't kill her. She sits there again. He pulls the sword out, gives her one more opportunity as he points the sword, and Perpetua takes the Roman gladiator's sword, puts it right at her throat, and she says, I will only sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And he drove the sword through her throat and killed her. <laughs> it's a true story. 22-year-old in a culture that was all about self. And she said, there is only one that I will sacrifice to. If you read the story of she is now a saint, of course, Perpetua the martyr. When you read a story like that and you think, man, and we won't even come to church if the weather's bad. I'm not even gonna come to church if the HVAC is not working properly. I'm not gonna come to church if I have to sit there for more than 45 minutes or an hour. And a 22-year-old girl points the knife at her own throat and says, just go ahead. There's only one God that I'm going to sacrifice to. So let's take an inventory. Our culture is chaotic and brutal. Chaotic and brutal. Let me ask you, if you are in this room, whether you claim to be a believer or not, do you have peace right now? Do you have peace? Regardless of what happens in Washington, D.C., do you have peace? Regardless of what happens on the stock market, do you have peace? Regardless of what happens, um, I don't know, globally, do you have peace? Do we experience the peace and love of God? Do we have that? Do we have that? Are we consciously putting others before ourselves? 
Do we strive to live selflessly? Now, let me tell you guys, I wasn't always a person that loved people. When I got saved, I loved God. I did not like people. I'd seen a lot of ugliness in humanity, still see a lot of ugliness in humanity. I went to a prayer room and I had to lay down on my face and I laid on the floor and I cried and I said, God, I don't love people. You have to put that love in me. There's some of us in this room, some people watching, we may have to find that place, right? Where we lay down and say, God, you just gotta, you gotta make me love people. And I tell you what, he will, he will. He'll put a love for people in us. Do we have the courage to live the teachings of Christ? Just like Perpetua that I told you about. Do we have the courage? <sighs> Imagine looking over and seeing your husband and your baby and still having the courage to give your life for your faith. Do we have the courage in our day and age? Do we have the courage to stick to the principles of this book? Not just where Jesus says, love your neighbor, but I'm talking about like the nitty gritty stuff, right? About sexual sin and gossip and drunkenness and lust and greed and envy and covetousness. Do we have the guts to stick to this? in the middle of a society that is absolutely hostile towards the teachings of God. What all this encapsulates is, have I adopted the attitude of Jesus? Have I adopted the attitude of Jesus? Does it break your heart? Does it, listen, do you know what the recent statistics are in the United States? 23% of the United States goes to church twice a month, 23%. 28% of the United States does not believe in God. 28%. This is a LifeWay statistic. Just came out. Do you know that only 43% of people that claim to be Christians believe that the word of God is actually true? Only 43% of people that claim to be Christians believe that the word of God is true? That's the culture we live in. Does it break your heart that so many people are lost? Does it break your heart that so many people are hurting? Does it break your heart that so many people have become slaves to their anger or their greed or their lust or their addictions? Does it break our heart? Does it hurt our heart to see that we are so divided and so confused? And we know the answer. We know the answer. But we're never going to have the opportunity to share that answer if we don't adopt the attitude of Christ. If we don't become humble if we don't become servants, if we don't put others before ourselves, if we don't love people well, we're never even going to have the opportunity to share with them the only knowledge that will save their marriage, save their children, save their souls. We have to adopt the attitude of Christ. Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you are in this room that first question I asked, have you ever experienced the, the peace of God, the love of God? If you're in this room and maybe you do not have a relationship with God, maybe you're curious, if you come up here on my right, your left, Pastor Greg is up here. If you're watching online, info at experiencecc.com. If you'll send an email to us, we'll reach out to you. If you're in this room and you need prayer for anything, listen, you may need prayer for, you may need one of the men or women at the front to pray for you and just say, hey, I don't, I don't love people as much as I should. Can you pray for me? Man, you got nothing to be ashamed of. I was like that. 
And then the last thing is, is you have communion in your hands. That represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The attitude of Jesus Christ was that he loved us so much that he came and he humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, that he shed his blood for us. And that if we will just ask God to forgive us, we can take that communion and be reminded that he loves us and that we are to take that love and that we are to go out into this world that is so devoid of love right now and that we are to go out and show people that love, show people that mercy, show people that grace. So Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord. God, I... I pray for everyone in this room, everyone watching at home, Lord, that you would protect their families, that if they're married, God, that you would protect their, their marriage, Lord. If they're single, God, that you would give them the strength, Lord, to live a life that honors you, even when it's difficult and even when it's lonely. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts, God, with, with your love, your mercy, your grace, and that, Father, that, that, that fellowship and that relationship that we have with you, that we can go out into this world and that we can shine like stars, God. Not for our sake, not so people will lift us up, but God, that people will see our attitude, see our good work, and that they will, they, will, they will follow you, that they will see you. God, break our heart for lost people. Break our heart for people who are, or who are angry and, and confused. God, just keep your hand on us, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you, guys.